On this episode of New Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS, Dr. Kyle Kovacs invites Dr. Cynthia Keon and David Chu to discuss a pair of recent journal articles on choroidal lesions. Stick around after the break when they further explore the topic with a free-form conversation. Let's get to the show. So the first paper we have to discuss today is entitled Indolent Non-Progressive Multifocal Choroidal Lesions, a Presumed Benign Choroidal Lymphoid Disease. The first author is William Carroll, and it was published in October 2020 in Retina. Uh, David, I, I hope you could take us through some of the findings from this paper. Absolutely, Kyle. Thank you so much. Uh, so this is a really interesting case series, and um, uh, this is uh, describing basically 11 eyes with a shared uh, phenotype. And that's exactly what they say in the title, indolent, non-progressive, multifocal choroidal lesions that tend to be unilateral, occurring more predominantly in males and happening in later stages of life with an average patient age in their 60s. And so this expands on uh, Dr. Jampal's prior paper in 2012, where they showed four patients who had the same kind of phenotype, you know, asymptomatic, indolent, unilateral, lesions, and they benefited, benefited uh, with a longer series of follow-up now to round out 11 cases. And what they're doing with this case series, and it's really worth doing a case series of such a uncommon, such a rare condition, is that they describe the, the multimodal imaging uh, of these lesions and also the, the um, and really highlight the benign nature of the, these uh, lesions because they did a lot of workup for quite a number of these patients and all of it was mostly unrevealing. So let's go through some of that multimodal imaging because I think that's really, really in interesting. Uh, the red free photos actually tend to highlight those lesions as white uh, colored lesions, uh, usually distributed nasally. They also looked at uh, autofluorescence using uh, optos or using traditional autofluorescence. And it seems like they tend to reveal the lesions quite poorly. And then they looked at EDI OCT, which is actually one of the primary modalities they found was uh, potentially able to identify these more. It was well visualized and it also was associated with increased choroidal thickening. They also looked at uh, endocyanin green. And in most of these cases, there was hypocyanescence and they, these uh, lesions, including late, uh, were not lighting up there. And then finally, look, they looked at fluorescein where a number of these lesions were staining. So I think that builds a, a sort of a characteristic uh, uh, fingerprint based on multimodal imaging of these lesions. I think that's truly, really exciting, really important for, you know, for highlighting the features of this uncommon condition. And then the other thing is describing really uh, their indolent nature. Now, when we think about lymphomas, ocular lymphomas, whether it's vitreoretinal lymphomas or secondary choroidal lymphomas, or in this case, primary, suspected to be primary choroidal lymphomas, it seems like these are not aggressive. They don't tend to multiply. And in fact, uh, out of the series, most of them uh, stayed the same. Only two of them got worse and some of them actually regressed over there. Most of them remained uh, having excellent visual acuity through the entire duration of follow-up, usually in the order of about 2020 to 2030, actually. And um, again, they had follow-up ranging from, you know, a year, at least several months up to 12 plus years. And so they really had a lot of uh, uh, time period to show that these things were just simply not very uh, progressive. Now, in terms of systemic workup, uh, variegated for all the different patients, but uh, hallmarks were looking for other mimicking diseases, for example, syphilitic uh, disease, which was negative, sarcoidosis, including some who had evaluation with uh, CT uh, of the chest, uh, which was negative, and, and uh, other serologic testing. Uh, looking for, importantly, birdshot, A A29 negativity, HLA A29 negativity and MRI of the brain, uh, making sure that there was no 
uh, lymphoma infiltration into the central nervous system. And those are in general negative as well. And so uh, it rounds out the uh, systemic uh, surveillance and, and what's probably you know appropriate or what's been tried over here for these patients and has been largely reassuring. And so I think you know for something like this, we're really dealing with something uncommon here. And to have a large series like this, I think is really worthwhile. And, and I love I love to learn things like this because this is one of these papers I definitely learned a ton about for a condition I you know comparatively know very little about. Well, thanks, David, for going on a safari for some zebras for us and enlightening us. Cynthia, I don't know if you have any quick takeaways from this paper. Um, Kyle, I, I mean, I think, yeah, first of all, it's great for bringing attention to a part of, you know, uh, retinal pathology we don't necessarily encounter very often or think of very often. Uh, you know, already every time there's a suspect, suspected intraocular lymphoma case, I, I feel like, first of all, I have to converse with my colleagues in uveitis oncology, and now we have this choroidal lymphoma, right? So, um, you know, the first thing that struck me when I looked at the paper and some of the images was just how, you know, on first, uh, first look, it really looks like birdshot. So it, it just, you know, struck a very interesting chord saying, you know, it's really interesting and important to think about, you know, as um, you were saying, Kyle, a zebra, but if it's so similar, you know, we, we got to be um, become more comfortable and uh, think about the wider differential because it could mean very different things about outcome and treatment course and uh, the evolution of these patients. Great. Well, on that note, uh, uh, we can move on to a further enlightenment of a little bit more of this zebra phenomenon. Cynthia, um, I'm going to ask you to go through uh, our second paper today, which is entitled Indolent Non-Progressive Multifocal Choroidal Lymphoid Lesions, A Clinical Histopathological Correlations. Uh, the first author is Alia Abdelhakim, and this was published recently in March 2022 in Ophthalmology Retina. Great. Um, well, first of all, thank you, David, for so nicely setting off, you know, the background already, because I think this study, which is not yet uh, fully published, is coming out later this summer, is really a nice continuation of that, uh, of that story about uh, corridor lymphoma. And uh, what we see here is actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a one single case study of a patient in whom we were able to, they were, the authors were able to obtain a postmortem analysis with immunohistochemical studies to kind of take a deeper look at the suspected etiology and the nature of the cells. And uh, the patient, uh, as mentioned, is a 70, uh, was started as a, a 77 year old, but then over the course of 19 years was followed with multimodal imaging over many years. And uh, David already mentioned a lot of the testing, including uh, both ocular imaging, so angiography photos, ICG, in addition to uh, pen workup with MRIs and uh, imaging, neuroimaging, which followed him. And um, he basically maintained excellent vision, 30 vision for the course of, uh, of this follow-up and finally uh, passed away from um, actually non-ocular causes. He did have um, other forms of, um, of neoplasms that were treated and he passed away from a direct cause of that. But then um, the eye was able to be preserved and then uh, was sent for staining uh, about 21 hours post-mortem. And what was confirmed on the further analysis was that, uh, first of all, in terms of staining, uh, CD20 staining, 
staining was positive, confirming the B cell nature of the lesion. And uh, the main conclusion from that study was that basically what they saw was that um, the tissue was most akin to what was what, what is known as extranodal marginal zone lymphoma of mucosa-associated lymphoid tissue or malt lymphoma. And um, obviously, I think we'll have further discussions about all the different classifications of uh, neoplasms and lymphoma, but this is... Um, you know, using the, the most recent WHO classification, this was what uh, the authors thought was the most similar to, you know, um, wider body systemic types of lymphoma. And um, the conclusion, once again, was reassuring in the sense that the lesion stayed stationary for almost 20 years, didn't demonstrate any local or invasive behavior, and uh, the patient really maintained very good visual prognosis throughout the follow-up period, and that it's very distinct from other types of aggressive, both uveal um, and choroidal lymphoma, or obviously primary intraocular lymphoma as well. Thank you for that summary, Cynthia. Um, really a nice, um, even though it's just sort of one patient, obviously, a really, really important, I think, nice pairing with the other paper. David, do you have any quick reactions to, to this paper? I think it's really interesting we get so little of the, the true clinical pathologic correlation with histology. I really love it. And I mean, it, it, it provides a, uh, as close to an answer, a ground truth as possible. So I really love that. And you get the multiple lymphoma diagnosis. Yeah, especially for these eyes that are for a bit, uh, what is ultimately a benign etiology, right? How amazing it is to have the histopathological corollary to go with it when an eye isn't being enucleated for something, you know, more invasive or more acute, right? Very fortunate to be having to have this study. Well, yeah. on that note, we're going to head into a quick break. Um, on the flip side of the break, we're going to get into some very interesting discussion of uh, lymphoma and um, these asymptomatic choroidal lesions. Stick with us till we're back on the flip side. Well, welcome back everybody to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I'm Kyle Kovacs here with Cynthia, uh, here with Cynthia Keon and David uh, Chu. Um, we discussed a couple of papers in the top segment about uh, infiltrative choroidal lesions, ultimately benign, now paired with histopathological findings. I think that some of the interesting takeaways here are the multimodal imaging to aid us as retina practitioners narrow down on this zebra a little bit. I don't know the confidence with which you guys now will approach the clinics armed with some of these diagnostic criteria. David, you took us through those in your opening paper. I don't know if you have any thoughts about your confidence now armed with these tools. I mean, I think that the multimodal imaging is actually in very interesting to me in terms of the mechanism of why uh, various angiographic features appear. I mean, I think that they're, they parallel sort of inflammatory lesions, inflammatory chordididities, if you will. And I'm not really sure why that, that is, whether it, it's there's some blocking or there's just hypoperfusion uh, associated with those lesions because they're mass occupying or what's, um, what's exactly the reason for it. But I do also want to, I do believe that, you know, one of the things that's really benefited this case series is uh, the expertise of the authors involved and diagnostically for sure, but also just time, you know, they have those multimodal imaging features. And I think that they're quite stereotyped. And I think this disease does us a favor because all of these case series tend to have followed a pretty stereotyped feature set rather than being completely disparate. And, 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 you know, in terms of, you know, various other types of, 
uh, retinal or parietal uh, uh, conditions. And, um, and then they have the benefit of time. And so I think that that gives us, you know, one more way to really assess these lesions. And I think the art of it is really knowing whether this is one of these non-progressive etiologies like this, or is it something that's like a secondary infiltrative choroidal lesion that happened to in a period of time look like something like this, where if you saw them months later, that picture would change. I think you're right. It's really amazing and easy to sit here with the benefit of hindsight looking at these saying, oh, great, that's obviously the diagnosis. How could it be anything else when you've been aided, as you said, by time, the truth coming out over time? There's such a wide differential for these lesions, right? I think that's what's really striking to me is how much this really looks like birdshot, right? And um, amongst others and how much workup really needs to be done. Um, I know, Cynthia, if you have, you have some thoughts about the workup that's entailed in this, both the ocular, the systemic, are you handling it yourself? Are you sending them to your colleagues to, to, to help you with this? Yeah, well, I'm definitely calling up my nearest, you know, uveitis and ocular oncology friends to, you know, just to have uh, multiple people take a look. Just like we said, the multi-imaging helps the, well, the, you know, the systemic workup also helps. And, uh, you know, I think it's nice that both of the papers we discussed come from Dr. Lee Jampal's group, and he has the expertise and the critical mass to have seen multiple cases of these uh, to be able to make that pattern recognition. Because I think most of us, to be honest, you know, we probably might see maybe one such case. And even then, you know, are, are we maybe... Miss, you know, perhaps um, interpreting uh, one as a birdshot when in, in fact it's one of these indolent non-progressive lesions because, you know, we're saying some of the distinguishing factors, um, having the HLA typing is quite important, but what if one of these patients is HLA A29 positive, then you know, that really <laughs> puts another level of uh, subtlety into it. Are we, are we treating some of these patients at bird, as birdshot when in fact, and um, say they're responding well, maybe they, they just have these indolent lesions, right? And um, I think some of the uh, the factors that were quoted in the, um, in the papers, you know, talk about specific characteristics, the fact that most of these indolent lesions are unilateral versus birdshot. Often, you know, you get a, even if it starts off asymmetrical, you have bilateral findings. Birdshot oftentimes will have more of a, a vitreal infiltrate, whereas these stay completely um, choroidal. But all of those take, I think, um, experience and they take time. You have to follow them for the evolution in time to see if they change or not. So again, you know, we're looking at it from the hindsight of this nicely published paper with uh, postmortem findings. But if the patient is there sitting in front of us, I think it's definitely helpful to have multiple experts approaching it from different angles of expertise. Yeah, I totally agree. I think my first step when I'm not, uh, when the diagnosis doesn't jump out of me is, is continue to perform more various types of multimodal imaging. I think it's the, the challenge here is also the, to at least in my mind is the breadth of the differential here, right? We spent a lot of time that it looks like birdshot, 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 but the disease itself, remember, we're kind of getting a little selection bias on the presentation, right? Cause this is the lymphoma spectrum of disease now that now we kind of have some histopathology to go with calling it malt lymphoma, right? And that's kind of like an end of a spectrum in my mind of the, the reactive lymphoid hyperplasia, right? Where this is like the most benign end of it. And, you know, I, I feel like, as you said, it's like to, to fit into this exact cohort, you have to hit every single one of, you know, 
Dr. Jam Paul's criteria, right? And if it's not hitting every single one of those criteria, it's obviously not this, right? And that's in part because this is a really well-described specific case series for inclusion of it, right? So to be included it, you have to hit all of the, the inclusion criteria. Um, but I think that makes it really a challenge to, um, to parse out the whole spectrum of you know, lymphoid infiltrative diseases, right? When, when we have this really nice benign end of it and teasing out some that are a little less subtle. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm, I'm not sending these patients, you know, I'm sending these patients to our ocular oncologists. I don't feel confident enough to make the decision myself that they, they don't need to see my colleague, my colleagues down the road. I know if you feel differently. I agree. It's it's also a good review of the new um, classification and terminologies in lymphomas. Like you know, I think um, Kyle, as you're saying, you know, the the terminology, the reactive lymphoid hyperplasia. Um, now, as you're saying, we're realizing those cases in the past were probably describing a subset of these patients. And it's nice as time goes on to consolidate the terms and renew our understanding and have the sort of the newest revised um, classifications to work with so that we're, you know, in sync with our ocular oncology colleagues. And, uh, you know, as we learn for that field too. Any other last thoughts? Anybody looking for lumps, bumps and shifting over to ocular oncology for their profession? I'm certainly not. <laughs> I think this is a great review of a condition that's just so uncommon. Wonderful. Well, on that note, let's start to wrap things up here. I really would like to thank my, my panelists here, Cynthia and David. What an absolute delight to, to share the radio waves with you. And I'd also like to thank our audience for listening to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. Please stay tuned in the future for further episodes. 